I'm Eileen Dunn and this is The God Slot. Yesterday, the Canadian province of Quebec introduced controversial legislation to ban ostentatious religious symbols despite ongoing debate and criticism that the law would violate human rights. The Charter of Quebec Values, tabled by the minority government party Québécois, wants to contribute to integration and social cohesion and establish the French-speaking province's secularism. On Tuesday, the Vatican launched an unprecedented global survey to gauge how Catholics really feel about church policy on divorce, birth control, same-sex marriage and other issues affecting modern families. The 39-question survey was sent to dioceses worldwide in advance of a meeting of bishops on the theme of the family next October. As plans were announced here to hold a referendum on same-sex marriage, Catholic Bishop Dennis Nulty stated that the Church will participate fully in the democratic debate leading up to the referendum and will seek with others to reaffirm the rational basis for holding that marriage should be reserved for the unique and complementary relationship between a woman and a man from which the generation and upbringing of children is uniquely possible. Last month, in an address, the Church of Ireland Archbishop of Dublin, Most Reverend Dr Michael Jackson, spoke of his deep and shattering sadness to find that sectarianism is alive within the Church's community in Dublin and Wicklow. More on that anon. But first, last September, ecclesiastical history was made in this country when Ireland's first woman bishop was appointed. At the surprisingly young age of 53, the Reverend Pat Storey is the new bishop-elect of Meath and Kildare, succeeding the now Archbishop of Armagh, Most Reverend Dr Richard Clark. Bishop-elect Story will be consecrated in Dublin's Christ Church Cathedral on November the 30th and we're delighted to have her as a guest on The Godslot. She joins us from the studios of Radio Foil. Pat, you're very welcome to The Godslot. Thank you, Eileen. Delighted to be here. When you heard of your appointment, you're quoted as saying that you were blindsided by the news. <laughs> Had you no instinct that this was coming down the tracks? Uh, absolutely none, Eileen, I can assure you. And I'd even forgotten that the election was that day. So that shows you that I I had no idea at all that I was in the running. Um, I don't think I was in the running until the meeting. Um, so it, it honestly was a genuine utter shock uh, to the point that I actually asked the Archbishop of Armagh, was he joking? <laughs> You were brought up in Belfast but studied in Dublin, so tell us about all of that. That's right. I was brought up in East Belfast during the Troubles. Um, so I went to Methody, which is quite near the city centre in Belfast. Um, there would have been sort of regular bomb scares, but as pupils we were always delighted because it got us out of class, so it never disturbed us much more than that. Um, and then we moved out to the country when I was about 12, uh, out to Calinchy County Down. Um, and then when I finished school I went to Trinity, and I suppose all my sort of young life, I had a very glamorous aunt who was an air hostess and I'd gone to Trinity to study English and French in the hope actually of following in her footsteps and being an air hostess. Most people assume when you have a collar around your neck that you've always been religious, but we weren't a church-going family at all. And uh, I, I suppose I just, uh, I moved in with a Christian friend in Trinity and I got to know a lot of her friends and started to read the Gospels and the personality of Jesus really, really actually shone out to me. I really, I really liked him. Um, and I kind of just gradually made a commitment of faith to the Christian faith. So I came to it, you know, relatively late in life at 19. 
And uh, I suppose the direction of my life changed in that I sort of felt almost immediately called to some kind of Christian leadership. Not quite the idea we have of college life. So out the window goes the idea of being an air hostess. And how did you come to ministry then? Um, again, that, that took a long time. I, I went to be a youth worker in a church in Dublin, in Killer the Grange Parish in Dublin, which I absolutely loved. Then I got married, brought up small children, did a couple of part-time jobs. I worked with Weight Watchers for a while in Dublin. It, it worked on me gradually. I never forgot it. And then when the children were about sort of seven and three and still very young, um, I really felt that I wanted to do something as well as being a mum. And that's not to denigrate being at home mm-hmm. full-time because I did that for seven years. The Church of Ireland had started ordaining women and it seemed an obvious path to go down and, and the doors did open. So I suppose that's how I got where I am, Eileen. Now you're married to the Reverend Earl Story. So how did he react when you started saying that maybe you'd like to go into ministry? It was nothing to do with me not being able to do the job. It was the thought of what would family life be like with two people in ministry? Because ministry can be challenging in terms of timetable and the demands on your, your time and your energy. So he was a rector at the time in, in Shankill and Crinkin in Dublin. And I think he just thought, oh, this, you know, this is just going to be a logistical nightmare. And those were his reservations. Actually, for the first time, we're moving alone without the children. So that's, that's quite daunting. Well, daunting is a word that you've used earlier, too. You said that you were excited and daunted by the appointment. How yes. significant is it for you that you're the first woman bishop in these islands? I never know what to make of it when people say that, you know, women are more this or they're less that, because obviously that's stereotyping and it's not always true. I mean, I do think women tend to be collegial and I think they tend to be focused on relationships and and community. And I suppose I I bring, you know, I'm I'm the first wife and mother on the House of Bishops or I will be. So I suppose that, you know, that brings a unique perspective, I think. You know, I think think wives and mothers tend to be collegial and tend to be geared towards the needs of those around them, tend to be nurturing. But having said that, you know, I, I know a lot of men who are collegial and who are nurturing, and I, and I know some women who aren't. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure that you can, you know, really stereotype. Now, we know the Anglican churches in Scotland and Wales have voted in favour of women bishops, but haven't yes. appointed one yet. In England, it's still an ongoing debate with the Archbishop mm-hmm. of Canterbury, Justin Welby, is on record saying that he longs to consecrate a woman as bishop. How do you mm-hmm. see that going? Do you think that will come in the next couple of years? I do. I mean, obviously, we're, we're different churches, so I can't speak for the Church of England. Um, but I don't think it'll be very long. Uh, I, th- I think that um, I think that on balance that there is a, ma- a majority that is for uh, women bishops. And I think that will happen very soon and in its own time. But I wouldn't want to speak for the Church of England. I think they'll, you know, I, I believe in the right person at the right time, which I hope that I am. You're a member of the Standing Committee of the General Synod and there have been a lot of divisive debates there too. Which wing would you say? Are, do you belong to the evangelical wing or the more liberal wing of the Church of Ireland? Nobody likes labels, Eileen, obviously. Mm. I'd say that I'm probably on the more liberal end of of the evangelical wing. So I would be evangelical, but I I probably wouldn't be on the conservative end of that. Now, the big one has been same-sex marriage. Where do you stand on that? I mean, I think I stand where the church stands at the minute. You know, and and at the minute, the church stands on asserting that marriage is part of a a permanent and lifelong union uh, between one man and one woman.
Now that that includes a continuing commitment, um, you know, to to pastorally listen to where people are at. I'm part of the select committee which has been set up on human sexuality, which promises to continue to engage and to continue to to listen and to debate. But I'm comfortable with where the church stands at the minute. Recently, the Archbishop of Dublin, Michael Jackson, has been talking about sectarianism within the Church Mm. of Ireland. What was he talking about there? Well, um, funny enough, I, I read that and... I wondered in what he meant exactly. I did I did read his speech. I mean, I think what he was saying was, and, and forgive me for speaking for the Archbishop of Dublin, because obviously I can't, but I think what he was saying was that we think of sectarianism as a northern issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, it really isn't. And because I've spent 15 years in Dublin, I came across just as much sectarianism as I have on the north. And that, I think that's the um, point he was making too, that he can yeah, see it I think from it both probably sides. Was. Yeah. yeah, and I can too because I've, I've ministered both north and south. And, you know, I, I did come across sectarianism in the south and I think the only difference is actually as northerners, we know we're sectarian. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we, we really do. We recognise it. And I think sometimes maybe it's just a bit more hidden in the south where people think that it's a northern issue, but... But it really isn't. You know, I I have seen sectarianism in in the Republic just as much as I've seen in the North. It's just maybe a bit more concealed. Are you an ecumenist? I am, yes, I am. I I suppose it depends what you mean by ecumenism, but I work very happily with uh, clergy and people of other denominations. Because when we think of Archbishop Jackson, he he appears to us anyway to be working very closely with Archbishop Martin in Dublin. So would you see yourself working with, you'll have two bishops, you'll have the Bishop of Meath and the Bishop of Kildare in Lachlan. Yes, yes, I've I've no problem with that at all. No, I mean in Derry we um we work very happily together. I mean not closely and not every day, but you know if issues come up or if uh, events come up, um most of us are very happy to work together. That doesn't mean that you think the same on everything, but you don't have to in order to be colleagues. Now, obviously, your present position leaves you with very little spare time. But what do you like to do That's in your correct. spare time? Well, I have a large golden retriever who needs a lot of walking. Um, So uh, my husband and I would go walking every day, usually in the evening and sometimes quite late on in the evening because we've both got busy lives. So very often at 10 o'clock tonight we'll be... Um, we'll, at 10 o'clock at night, we'll be out uh, walking the Golden Retriever. Um, I'm also a member of a creative writing class. I enjoy creative writing. I enjoy book clubs. I'm a big reader, so I'm, I'm in a local book club. I do a lot of swimming, actually. I'm, I'm a swimmer. And I think especially if you have a busy life, it's really important to do normal things and to meet people outside church circles. But also, uh, for me, it's really important to keep myself healthy. And so I enjoy swimming and walking because it gives me a wee bit of headspace. Um, I, I really enjoy just to do a lot of my thinking and my praying when I'm out walking or when I'm swimming in the pool. And for me, that's really important for my mental health. I'm interested in the creative writing. What kind of writing mm. are you doing? I, I write fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would write a lot of short stories, a bit of poetry. I've had a few bits and pieces published. Um, I was in the middle of of writing a novel about Derry, but I just don't know that I'm ever going to have the time to finish that. I've done a few chapters, but I really enjoy writing fiction. You know, a part of me sort of wishes that I'd sort of finished this novel before I moved because I'd love to have published something before I moved to Meath and Kildare. But, you know, I think at the minute just time is of the essence. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I hope to get some space and time because I really enjoy it. It's a bit of escapism. It takes you out of yourself writing. Well, we'll be looking forward to it if and when (laughs) it does get published. So what's on your agenda for your new appointment when you get there? Well, 
I mean, in terms of, I suppose there's so much going on at the minute in terms of, I mean, first of all, if you've ever moved house, Eileen, you know how stressful Mm -hmm. and time-consuming that is. So one thing we have to do is to move house. The other thing is that I'm very aware that I've still five or six weeks to do in my present parish. So I'm trying to get uh, loose ends tied up here, you know, to still make sure I'm visiting the sick and to do the things that I would normally do here. And then, of course, to think ahead and to think of what happens after the the consecration and the two enthronements in the cathedral. Um, I'm really looking forward to meeting the clergy and the people. And I suppose the first six months we'll be doing that, to doing a lot of listening, a lot of meeting people and um, getting to know them. Uh, the, the bishop really, one of the first priorities of a bishop is to be uh, really pastor pastorum, they call it, which is really, you know, pastor to the clergy and their families. And I think that that's something that a bishop really ought to be making a, a first priority is to, to really be there for the clergy and their families and, and to meet with them and to listen to them and to encourage them really in their own ministries. Well, we wish you every success and blessing in your new role and Bishop-elect Pat Story, thank you for joining us on The God Slot. Now, to discuss the fallout from those remarks by Archbishop Michael Jackson last month. We're joined in studio by Judge Catherine McGuinness, an insider on Church of Ireland Affairs. You've been listening to that interview with Pat Storey and her remarks about sectarianism and how she said that as Northerners, at least we know we're sectarian. Uh, Yes, that struck a chord with me because, of course, I come from the north myself. And also it brought back to me that a few years ago at the Merriman Summer School, I spoke precisely on a title called Irish Protestants Negotiating Space Between the Sectarian and the Secular. And I discussed not only all this thing about the sort of sectarianism there was in the south, but also the very book by Heather Crawford that uh, Archbishop Jackson discussed at length in his uh, in his article and in his uh, speech to the diocesan synod. And I I agree with the Archbishop that there is a form of sectarianism in the whole of Ireland and that that showed up greatly in the hard gospel project that the Church of Ireland did. Well, talk to us about that. Now, first of all, let's go back and what did Archbishop Jackson say? Because he seems to have offended people right across the board. Yes. Well, I think that he said that Uh, coming to the Diocese of Dublin and Glendalough, which is where he has come, that uh, he felt that uh, in the among the Church of Ireland population in his diocese, that he found just as much sectarianism as he had would have found in Northern Ireland. Uh, perhaps it was in a different form, but it was just as sectarian. And I think that what offended people was that they felt that he used sectarian to mean like political violence type sectarianism or actually religious violence type sectarianism as you would find in the North. Whereas I think he was trying to highlight the fact that there is a different kind of sectarianism which makes, and I think this showed up in Heather Crawford's book too, which makes the Protestant population continue with a sort of ghettoization that they... uh, started in 1922, as it were, and that they have never truly grown out of. And in that, I agree with the Archbishop in that I myself, in my own speech about this, was trying to say, look, forget about this. Uh, You're Irish, you're, you know, you're part of Ireland. And uh, it's a mistake to have this rather close in a variety of life where you're sitting in your own little virtuous heap and 
saying, well, of course, those other people outside are all right. But and I think that's the kind of thing he was talking about. But because of the strong language he used and above all, because using these phrases like this phrase of polyester Protestant, which unfortunately has made everyone run down what I think is a complete blind alley of talking about this phrase. And who was he referring to there? I, well, I assume that he was referring to people who had uh, converted from either Catholicism or some other faith to being members of the Church of Ireland. And to be honest, I certainly have never heard this phrase. And I have plenty of experience kind of in the only area, the area which I live uh, of seeing people like that being embraced into parishes and in fact being on the board's management of schools and being pillars of the parish and so on. So I think he was a bit exaggerating about that but someone must have put this phrase into his head. I have no idea who but I think that that's a blind alley to talk about that. I don't think that's very realistic but I think that he had a point to make. Now mind you when the Hard Gospel Project had... um, Explain to uh, us what that is. uh, Well it was it was a whole it was to address sectarianism in the church of ireland north and south and it had a great many uh, it's it was looking at the issues of theology and practice and uh, it was it, it there was a lot of activity went on about it. Its main aim was to ta- tackle the issues of sectarianism and the legacy of con- conflicts and so on, and also the relationship between immigrants and uh, native Irish-born people, which is another thing that the Archbishop was trying to indicate. Uh, and it was an all-Ireland project, but it was interesting that there was an independent evaluation of it and one of the things that the independent evaluator said although it said he praised its considerable successes but he criticised slow pace in bringing it into into kind of uh, mainstreaming in the Church of Ireland and he did Say point out that it had taken three years to identify and set up relevant and specific training for the bishops. So perhaps... Uh, Bishop Jackson is now looking, and he was referring to the Hard Gospel Project in what he said and wrote. Perhaps it is kind of uh, it comes to him that that now it's the time for the bishops to go back to refer to the Hard Gospel Project and say, look, this is the time we need to look at this again, and perhaps to step out of our comfortable little cocoon and be inclusive of uh, people who have come from other countries, people who have perhaps come to us from other religious backgrounds, and to to be a more inclusive church. Now, we've had the unprecedented step, I think, of two of his predecessors criticising him, Walton MP and John Neal. And he's also garnered criticism from people like the Reverend Tom Gordon, who says Mm -hmm. you can't cherry pick. You're either inclusive or you're not. Well, I do understand what uh, Tom Gordon is saying in that uh, he's saying that if you're going to be inclusive, you include inclusive same sex people, you know, other different kinds of sexuality. And I would agree with him there. And uh, indeed, I've spoken about that as well. But uh, I, I don't actually in his speech to the Synod, uh, the Archbishop did refer to the the pain of the discussion that there was at a previous general synod about human sexuality. And I think perhaps he was, he's 
was a bit reluctant to bring that in in a, a an outward speaking way, as it were. On the other hand, I, I agree with uh, Tom Gordon that if you're going to say inclusive, you can't cherry pick. Now, what uh, about the two predecessors? The two then? There predecessors, has been some suggestion that this is all tied in with education and Trinity. Uh, well, I have heard that too, but uh, I don't know myself whether it was or not. But they said there certainly was a lot of feeling among Church of Ireland people when it was suggested that the Church of Ireland College of Education, that's where the primary school teachers are trained, was to be shifted, as it were, from being connected to Trinity to being connected to DCU. And I think, I mean, given that the majority of university graduates in the Church of Ireland would be Trinity graduates, let's face it. Uh, And uh, I think there was a strong feeling among them that this was a wrong step to take. And then, of course, there was a kind of argument between Trinity and the authorities in uh, CICE uh, as to whether Trinity had in fact tried to push them out. And Trinity says, of course, where's blind that that they didn't do that at all. So I just don't know enough about that. But I do know there was a lot of feeling about that. And whether that had to do with uh, the other two archbishops' criticism, I don't know. Well, is it a thing then that what some called sectarianism, they would call ethos? Uh, yes, well, they would, yes, I suppose. But I'm, ethos is a word that I'm sometimes a bit suspicious about because particularly in the educational field, ethos is inclined to mean I'm going to hold control of this school one way or another. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm edgy about that. Uh, I, I kind of wonder about what's going on about the um, what what were the reasons for going to DCU but as I say I don't really know about that. On the other hand I was I must say extremely surprised to find the two former archbishops writing in because I mean I'm the daughter of a clergyman myself and I know my father would have said the last thing you do is criticise your successor in office you must not do that you know so that I, uh, I was surprised they must have felt very strongly to do that, knowing the two men involved. I, they must have felt very strongly. But whether it was, if it was about education, I think it would have been better to come out and say this is about education, uh, rather than saying it's about ethos or it's about, you know. Well, he seems to have stirred up a hornet's nest. Do you think this will go away, or is it going to rumble on? Um, well, I think it'll stop having letters to the Irish Times after a while because, you know, journalists get tired of uh, things like that. And I mean, people get weary of it and it'll move away like that. But it will certainly linger on in the relationship between the Archbishop and uh, perhaps some of the parishes that he's dealing with. On the other hand, perhaps it's no harm that people should be stirred up a bit and make them think carefully about where they are. And you see, with the Heather Crawford book, what really enraged me about the book was that having done all these very interesting and careful interviews, she reached the conclusion that Protestants could not really be Irish. And that just, I'm afraid, that just sent me into a blinding rage, to tell you the truth. (laughs) uh, Well, if people want to find out more, what's the name of that book? Maybe we'll put details on our website. Outside the Glow, it's called. And it was published about 2008 or 2009, around about then. And... uh, 
I mean, I really do feel strongly that Protestants are Irish. They are born here. They are Irish. And, and what they should do is take a more, uh, you know, a more hands-on part in the community than sitting back and saying, we live in this little, you know, we're Church of Ireland and, and uh, we don't want to be in with the rest. Judge Catherine McGuinness, thank you for that insight. Thank you. Thank you. On Sunday afternoon at a quarter past three on RTE Radio 1 Extra, Longwave 252 and digital platforms, we'll be marking the 95th anniversary of the 1918 armistice with a special choral evensong for Remembrance Sunday from St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin in the presence of President Michael D. Higgins. Our phone number is 01208 Our email address is godslot at rte.ie and our postal address is the Godslot RTE Radio 1 Dublin 4. Next week we'll be looking at retelling Bible stories by means of chiclet and God versus particle physics. So Shin, good goody jishif. Because I gotta have faith. Mm, I gotta have faith. Because I gotta have faith.